You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, my man, Paul? How are you, brother? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> That's great. It's great to have you with <laughs> me today, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Excited to, uh, yeah, just talk more about what you're doing. I think one thing that's cool, I don't know if you got to read any of the um, stuff about kind of the general overview of Seeking Excellence, but I really have loved uh, learning more about, reading some about, and seeing obviously the things that you put out, especially in regards to adulting, because I think that's kind of our target audience here at Seeking Excellence, and I really love and um, relate to your approach to kind of this well-rounded lifestyle, you know, teaching people about finances. Um, mm -hmm. I know that fitness is important to you, you know, and just kind of addressing some of these other areas of life that get often neglected by the church. So uh, excited to dive into some of that today with you. But first, would love to just kind of do an overview of, of your life story, who you are, and how you got to doing what you're doing today. Life story, bro. How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we got as long as you need to share the story, man. Okay. <laughs> uh, gosh, man, I'm like a Catholic Forrest Gump sort of thing. Um, so, you know, born and raised in Southern California. My parents raised me Catholic. Um, I am Korean American, uh, rich Catholic heritage. I love it because, um, Korea is the only country where its own people went out, received the faith, brought a catechism back and basically just played church for like a couple generations. And so it's the, uh, it's definitely a, a dope ancestry. And, um, I was born in, in California, but my parents raised me Catholic, which I very much appreciate. Didn't appreciate that growing up. Didn't care. Uh, you know, the typical story of the kid who went through confirmation and kind of wanted to graduate the Catholic church. And, uh, I would say that, uh, where my faith really stuck was in college. I went to UCLA and I just, you know, was pursuing hedonism in pursuit of pleasure at all costs and wanted to major in partying, probably minored in it. And in the midst of my pursuits and, uh, you know, call it Catholic guilt, call it whatever you want, but my conscience was still active. And so the Lord was just kind of stirring my heart and deeper desires. And I just knew that I needed to walk in his ways, but I didn't want to because I think the ultimate fear that most of us have is that in giving up whatever it is we're attached to, especially via sin, is that God wouldn't have really anything better to offer us. And so 
Through a course of events, uh, namely through the intercession of Our Lady, as I was praying the rosary, being led back to the sacraments, um, confession, the Eucharist, uh, yeah, God just really did a number on my heart. And so from that point on, I turned into a real weirdo on campus and <laughs> just wanted to go to church and pray. And I was like, screw hedonism, screw everything that's going on in the weekend. I want Jesus. And it was to the point where I was like, I don't even want, I don't even want to like mess with girls anymore. I'm just going to discern priesthood, baby. Like I'm going to go full tilt, full send. And so I, I transferred schools actually to Franciscan University of Steubenville, where most weird Catholics end up for a while. Weird in a good sense. That's right. Um, and uh, spent two years in their priestly discernment program, graduated, had a great formation and uh, left to discern with the CFRs, the Franciscans of the Renewal out in New York City. So for the next three and a half years, I spent those years in formation, prayer, community, service, and I got to live next to some of the holiest men I had the privilege of knowing. And it really taught me a lot about who I am, who I'm not, uh, the gifts that God had given me. And ultimately, while the time there was great, wasn't for me. And I'm grateful for the formation, but it became clear to myself and to the community. It's like, maybe this isn't the best fit. So I left, mm -hmm. went back home, decided to go back into debt by going to get my master's degree. Like most people, <laughs> just like we're hardwired to just go back to school. <laughs> and, uh, That's I was right. gonna, I got, yeah, I got my degree in marriage and family therapy. So I thought I was going to be a, a counselor full time. And I did that for a little bit. I was working towards my licensure and, just came to find out, man, it's not, it wasn't the fit for me. I enjoyed teaching those topics more, but long story short, um, God started opening up opportunities for me to, to present at local churches and youth groups. And so I did that. Um, and I loved it. I was performing music. I got to be a dork. I mean, I was just like class clown growing up and I got to share my faith as a Catholic and it was awesome. It was a great fit. And, you know, the opportunities kept opening and my mom's like, shouldn't she be doing the counseling thing? I'm like, don't worry about it, mom. I got this. <laughs> and after a while, it became really clear that, you know, the, the path that the Lord was kind of leading me on was to focus on doing ministry full time. And so very long story short, um, I essentially have been full time in ministry for the past 11 years, give or take. And, uh, been on many adventures. God is, is very gracious, um, almost all 50 states and handful of countries. And it's been a wonderful adventure. I got married back in 2013. God gave us a bunch of kids and here we are live in Austin, Texas or outside of Austin, Texas. Now I don't live in the city. City's a little wacky, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the city is definitely a little wacky. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. 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 Well, keep Austin weird. Right. But, um, That's we right. live right outside of Austin and, uh, we, we moved, obviously, from California to here, and it's been wonderful, man. We, we really enjoy Texas, and that's kind of my life up to now in a nutshell. Hope you enjoyed that. That's great. I love it. Thank you for sharing. No, I think it's great. You know, and I uh, first met you in person at uh, Lucas Walschlager's bachelor party. We had dinner there uh, yeah. in Austin, Texas. And, you know, one thing that really struck me that night, you were kind of um, really hype on crypto. We were talking about cryptocurrency and stuff like that. And I know, <laughs> we sure I, th were. I think you mentioned that night that that it's it's part of um, the adulting course, right? Obviously, finances is a big part of your um, you know, millennials guide to adulting course and, 
Um, but I would just love to kind of talk about like, where did that, where did your love or interest for like personal finance, like where did that kind of come from, especially coming out of the CFRs? Like what was kind of your shift into realizing, um, not maybe not realizing, but just kind of being so intentional and, and wanting to learn more about investing and budgeting and things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, when it comes to vocations, the vocation to religious life is is vastly, I mean, there's some similarities, but it's different <laughs> than uh, living in the world. And, you know, the joke is, as Franciscans, they wear the, the cord on their on their side, right? And it has the three knots, and the three knots represent the three vows that they take, poverty, chastity, and mm-hmm. obedience, right? Which also means on the street, no money, no honey, and do as you're told. But the ironic thing is, even without the money, it's like God's still providing for them. And so, you know, they rely on benefactors to provide for, you know, all sorts of things from their electricity, health care, the food that they eat, blah, blah, blah. But, it, it, you know, as a, as a lay person, you do the same thing. You rely on God, but you got to work. You know, you don't have the luxury of being like, yeah. hey, can you uh, just go, go fund me my entire life? Because <laughs> you should, you know? Why? And so... Um, I came to the stark realization when I came home from the friars that, you know, especially after I graduated from my grad studies and, and counseling, I looked at my bank account one day and this, I think this was my first year of marriage. And I looked at my account balance and then I looked at the balance I owed to the banks that were, had funded my college education. And I'm like, huh, wait, I don't own any of the money in my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got pissed. Yeah. It's like, what the heck is this? Got that negative someone, net worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As if someone stuck a gun to my head and made me go to school. But at, yeah, at the same time, it was just, you know, I think from a very young age, we're all kind of told like the path is to go to school and go to college. It's not a bad thing. Uh, I don't know if it's for everybody, but I think the problem that we're coming up to is like back when our parents went to school, it was much more affordable. You know, like many things, right? Housing, uh, so many things are so much more affordable. And so, I mean, colleges, it, it's, it's not hard at all to, to graduate with over six figures in debt, right? And so, you know, you Absolutely. walk out of your, your education, you get this paper diploma, and you're like, yo, I got to pay this back. And I, ideally, you got a degree that equals a high salary or, or net worth opportunity. But for most people, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, diplomas are a diamond dozen, you know, so, so anyways, long story short, I got kind of rocked because I'm like, wow, I owe all this money and now someone has to pay it back and it's not going to be the politicians, right? (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) Um, Then, so I had this sort of light bulb go off and I said, I don't know a thing about personal finance. So I'm going to, I went to my local Barnes and Nobles, which is like a bookstore for those of you who don't have any clue what that is. Um, and I said, I'm going to, I was like Keanu Reeves on the matrix. I'm like, I know Kung Fu, I know personal finance, you know? So I went for that aisle and I was just looking through, I didn't even know what book I was looking for, but I saw this white bald guy named Dave Ramsey and I was like, okay, he looks legit. He looks rich or something. (laughs) He had had a book called, (laughs) yeah, yeah, a book called total money makeover. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's check it out. So I made my first good financial decision. I didn't buy the book. I sat in the coffee area. I drank tap water and I read it for free. And so wow. for the next three hours, I yeah, I consumed that book. 
it was easy to read. Like there were testimonials, there were baby steps that he was talking about. And I was like, whoa, okay, these are solid. So I was being taught these easy concepts of, all right, you need to save an emergency fund. You need to start tackling your debts from smallest to largest. You need to um, beef up that emergency fund. You need to start saving for retirement or invest. And the list went on and on. I was like, okay, finally, I'm understanding personal finance. Now, why is that important? This was actually a really game-changing moment for my wife and I because it gave us some sort of guidance or structure to be like, I can take control of my finances. I don't have to just kind of be a victim of circumstance or whatever I feel like buying that month. I can actually get ahead. But, you know, there's no substitute for hard work. And I, I think that's the problem sometimes in our culture is that everyone's looking for easy fixes, you know, whether it's like how to how to lose weight, how to get rich, how to get out of debt, how to find a girl and want her to marry it. You know, it's like we're always looking for these quick fixes, right? But there's no substitute for like hard work and the foundational principles to achieve whatever goal it is in life that we have. I mean, I think a key feature of adulthood is the reality that no one's doing this for you, man. You got to do it yourself, you know? Yeah. Sure, we can trust in God, right? But there's that quote, you know, pray as though everything relied on, depended on God, but work as though everything depended on you. And it's that mm-hmm. sort of, and I forget which saint had said that, but I think it's a really good quote in that, yes, we're supposed to step out in faith and trust that God provides all of our needs, right? As he says mm-hmm. in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, like, do not worry about where what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat, you know, trust in the Heavenly Father. But at the same time, Jesus worked, you know, he worked, yeah. he did projects, he built furniture, presumably as a carpenter. He <laughs> he was the original Ikea before there was Ikea, right? <laughs> and uh, and he worked by the sweat of his brow. He wasn't entitled. He was a son of God. He could have gotten everything on a gold platter, but he worked. And so this concept of taking ownership, not only for whatever situation we're in in life, but also like our needs, our problems, uh, the challenges that we're facing. I mean, that's on us. And uh, presumably, Nathan, is this this podcast is directed towards men or women or? Uh, really both. Who, who exactly? Christian Christian young adults, as is kind of the general audience, cool, mostly cool, Catholic. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah. So 18, 18 about 50, through 40, 50 men right? and women. <laughs> yep. All right, cool. Just exactly. wanted to make sure. I didn't want to leave the I didn't want to leave the ladies out of this conversation. But yeah. Yeah, um, no, there's definitely yeah, a lot of work. The, the key, No, for sure. But the key feature of, you know, adulthood once again is is taking ownership. So making those steps towards um what it is you need to do to get ahead, quote unquote. But um there are certainly wise ways to do this. There are foolish ways to do this. I think everyone can agree on that. But for me, it became sort of a mission, especially the motivator was I just got married and I'm like, yo, I have to, you know, I feel the desire and the need and the responsibility to provide for my family. And so if I don't get this under control, it's probably not going to be good because I hear a lot of bad stories about finances. And that's what I was thinking at the time. So Dave Ramsey, that book was solid. Um, it formed some principles in my wife and I in a relationship to be like, hey, we're, we're just going to, we're going to be weird. We're going to save. We're not going to spend money on crap we can't afford. We're going to start investing each month. 
Um, and that's another thing. I, I think when it comes to these topics, like unless your mom or your dad has sat you down and actually like walked you through this or you've nerded out like I did and you've like been watching YouTube or you've been going to bookstores and trying to figure it out, most people don't even begin to grasp like, where do I start? And so it can become really overwhelming. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's just like a stereotypical example could be like, okay, my car's broken. All right, I'm not going to figure out how to fix the car. I'm going to take it to somebody and have them fix it, right? But then there's mm-hmm. like this select group of like weird people who actually enjoy working on their cars. And so it's like good on them, right? They'll have a hobby and they'll, they'll save some money, I suppose. But I think when it comes to finances, a lot of people kind of have that same mentality of like, I don't know how to do this. So uh, I guess I'll just pay someone or I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll or hire just someone or, yeah. Or don't deal with it at all, right? Until the wheels <laughs> fall off. And um, the, here's the thing, and I hate to break it to all your listeners, but the government is not going to help you. <laughs> Sorry, they're not. They don't care about you, and they're not going to help you, and they're not going to solve your problems, okay? that That's just the first reality that we have to grapple with. And so it's on us. You know, God will help us, but it's on us to take control and to not wait for politician so-and-so to pay off all of our all of our loans because ironically even if they were to pay off all those loans they'd have to print a whole butt ton of money to pay off the existing balances and what does that do as we're seeing in 2022 current date august 22nd we're seeing massive inflation right i think everyone's getting a crash course in inflation in real time they don't understand that there are consequences to printing money as a solution to uh, current economic woes, etc. So there's no free handout. My mom would always say there's no free lunch, you know, and that's absolutely true. Yep. Um, even if they take care of bills up front, quote unquote, they print out more stimmy checks or whatever. Guess how you're going to get taxed through inflation? Because whatever you got in that check, it's going to melt away because you're buying stuff that's 10% as of today. It's probably even higher, uh, 10% more expensive than it was a year before. And it goes on and on and on. And so uh, this whole topic can be really overwhelming for people, but I would just encourage folks to take it a step at a time. Um, this is one of the reasons why I created my course, A Catholic Guide to Adulting. And essentially the, the website on that is uh, www.catholicadulting.com. But I wanted to create a resource um, for people who just felt overwhelmed but wanted just good advice or some encouragement in areas in their young adult life that matters to them, right? So whether it's personal finance, whether it's figuring out uh, how to form community post-college, because that's hard too, whether it's dating, navigating that crazy world, right? Um, Navigating how to strive for excellence, right? In your professional life, how to deal with mental health issues that might come up, Um, how to deal with difficult conversations or family issues, and because we all have them, right? Um, how to discern your vocation, how to grow in your Catholic faith. I essentially wanted to create something that people could just click and sign on to and be like, hey, okay, I need to brush up on this. And so thanks be to God, um, over these past few years, we have um, several hundred members from 19 different countries who have benefited. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have uh, created something that is encouraging folks and helping them really turn the page in their adult lives and feel like I can do this. I can do all things through Christ, but I can do this because 
I'm actively doing something about it, right? Not just twiddling yeah. my thumbs and waiting for something to just happen, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm super curious your thoughts on how do you, obviously you're very anti-socialism uh, and I think that that's great. Um, what is kind of your response to anybody who um, might criticize, you know, that type of philosophy as as something that is too money focused or you're trying to be too uh, successful financially, you know, like this kind of warning against riches and wealth. You know, I know a lot of people will point to like, and I've heard the criticisms of like um, saying that like in the Acts of the Apostles, like the early apostles basically lived as socialists, right? They kind of lived in this, like everybody shares everything and, and people... Um, you know, who, who couldn't work, were taken care of in that, you know, those early small Christian communities. So what's kind of your response to people who might be um, anti-wealth or anti-investing because they think that it's too worldly or too focused on um, money, which Jesus warned against? Right. So Jesus warned not about money itself or having money, but the love of money, right? Which is fundamentally different. Money is a is a neutral. It can be used for good things. It can be used for terrible things, right? But the reality in this world is we all need money to survive and to eat. I mean, even Jesus and Our Lady and St. Joseph, they needed money. I don't know what the currency was at the time. It was probably one of those Roman currencies, you know, that we hear about, but they needed money. And so if the Son of God <laughs> was providing services to be paid in the local currency so as to eat and to provide food and shelter and, and, you know, whatever the needs of the Holy Family were, then certainly there's nothing evil about that. The evil that he warns against is the love of money, right? Every good Hollywood action movie, you know, there's usually someone who's greedy or lusting after that next paycheck or that payout or wanting to get rich quick. And it doesn't matter what it takes to get that money they're going to get their money, right? Be better have my money, right? Sort of one of those things. And so <laughs> the problem, <laughs> I, I bleep myself out for, for our Catholic listeners here. That's um, so funny. Yeah, the, pro the problem isn't money. The problem is love of money. Now, um, socialism has never worked ever, historically speaking, you know. If you look historically at countries that have tried to implement socialism, communism slash socialism, which is a distant but pretty close cousin, it always ends poorly. And without making this whole episode a topic of what is communism, what is socialism, how are they different, blah, blah, blah. The, the issue is that in, in an ideal world, um, it sounds good on paper. Wow, equi equity, like everyone gets an equitable like treatment. Everyone gets paid the same thing. We're all good. You have exactly what you need and everyone's good. But then historically speaking, the way that plays out in countries, and there are many of them, whether you know we're talking about communism in, in Eastern Europe or in China or we go to South America... It always ends poorly. Why? Because a select group of people take authority and they determine that they are the ones who determine what people get and how they get it. But historically speaking, what has happened is it's usually been uh, a huge incubator for human rights violations. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, communism alone has, has uh, led to the bloodshed of more people than any other century in human history. I mean, think about that for a second. 
Why? Because when the state becomes sort of the ruler, right? When the state replaces God, when the state is here to help you, quote unquote, um, it never ends well. Um, so, I mean, many people, including one of my great heroes, St. John Paul II, who, who essentially lived in Poland under the Nazi occupation, but also the communists, um, you know, he had many pointed things to say about the evils of communism. And namely because, you know, once again, it leads to so many human rights violations and namely the usurping of the mm-hmm. church and any belief or faith and being replaced by the state. Um, so there's many ideological issues with it, but going back to your question of, well, what about the early church, right? They shared things, they, they provided for things in common. Okay. But they had to work for that to get that money, you know, like people who had the money and who were charitable towards the early church, guess what they were doing? They were probably exchanging goods and services for that money, right? Mm-hmm. And so while I don't know exactly if you could label the early church times, and especially under the Roman Empire as a, a capitalist society, I'm not, I'm not an uh, expert in, in these matters there. I would say that money wasn't the issue. Earning money wasn't the issue, right? The issue even then was what will you do with your money to honor God, right? Mm-hmm. And so even today, the Catholic Church, right? We are the body of Christ. There's over a billion members Catholic Church is the largest charitable organization on the planet, right? As much as people, especially those who are against uh, pro-life stances, they'll say the church is just pro-birth, right? They are—they don't care about the baby <laughs> yeah. once the baby's born. <laughs> and I, I saw this great little meme with SpongeBob on it. <laughs> I don't even—I've never watched the show. I think it's like people on drugs. But anyways, um, is SpongeBob You've never like seen pointing SpongeBob to all these different? Uh, ne- never a full episode. I think I saw like serious? 30 seconds worth. My my mind started melting. I couldn't handle it. That right? will happen. Yeah, it's a side effect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, um, but in the meme, you know, SpongeBob is pointing to all these different things in the ocean. But whoever the creator of the meme was is like, oh, really? The, the church only cares about when the child's born, huh? Um, actually, uh, have you heard of St. Vincent de Paul? Have you heard of Mary's Meals? Have you heard of like, there's just like a, a ton of these different uh, charitable organizations mm-hmm. and resources that take care of women and single mothers. I mean, I, I know many of them, you know, whether it's, um, uh, sisters of life, uh, whether it's, um, gosh, this is embarrassing. I'm drawing a blank, but, um, uh, Mary's homes, uh, there, there, there are a ton of different organizations that work with women. There's Obria back in Southern California, where my wife and I were from, where they're providing, uh, prenatal care, they're providing counseling, they're providing opportunities for these women to find jobs and shelter and the list goes on and on. There's many of these pregnancy centers that provide this kind of help. Um, and how is this all possible? It's possible through the sponsorship of people who are using their hard-earned money to indeed benefit these nonprofit organizations. Okay, where did that money come from? Came from people working hard, working ethically, right? And sharing out of the goodness of their heart. And I don't think that that idea is in um, at odds with the understanding of capitalism. Now, capitalism, sure, there are abuses. There are things that people could obviously, you know, 
look at, and I don't want to turn this whole interview into this simply because I'm not an expert on it myself, but based on what I've experienced and what I've gathered, any system can be abused. Um, and it's mm-hmm. always, it goes back to that exhortation from Christ, that warning, that love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not the problem. So, you know, it's interesting because going back to the Dave Ramsey thing, I, you know, while I don't agree with every one of his, uh, his takes on, you know, finance, I don't need to get into the details. I think the baby steps that he teaches are gold. They're solid that they leave a good foundation for people. Um, some of the other nuanced things I might have disagreements with, but I think that is really good for most people to get started with. One of the things he encouraged his readers to do is like, look, throughout the process, tithe. What is tithing, right? It's the concept from scripture where, you know, we offer God the first 10th of our harvest. And if you ain't a farmer, that means your paycheck, <laughs> you know, uh, it means whatever money you're bringing in that month, you offer it to God. And you can do that by tithing at your local church and parish. You can do that by um, offering it to a nonprofit you know, Catholic organization, there are many ways to tithe, right? Absolutely. But the idea is, is, it's not that God needs our money. He, in the words of St. Mother Teresa, God has lots of money. He owns the earth, bro, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He's got it all. <laughs> yeah, but, but tithing, tithing is for us. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. It means that it, God is giving us an opportunity to say, I, I am reminding myself that money does not provide for me. God provides for me. You feel me? And so it's one, it's an act of worship because we're saying, God, it's yours. Everything that I have is yours. I trust in you. So out of that confidence and trust, I know you invite me to give because you give freely, God. So I'm going to give this 10th, even if it hurts, I'm going to give it and I'm going to be a cheerful giver and I'm going to trust that you will continue to provide for me and my family, right? And so that helps soften our hearts and not grasp onto things. It helps us to not love money, quote unquote, to the degree where we think that that's our God, right? So yeah. when it comes to finances, there's nothing wrong with being a good steward of the finances. In fact, Jesus uses examples in the parables of people who are good stewards over what they were given from their master, right? The coins, the talents, um, all these different um analogies that had to do with using finance as well. And so, you know, if you find yourself, whether you're crushing it financially or you're not, guess what? We all have an opportunity to say, God, I trust you with my finances along with everything else. And so I give you a 10th of whatever it is I make that month and it's yours. So it's good. You know, I think the, the this past Sunday's uh, gospel reading was uh, Phil create money bags that, that will not, uh, rot away, that will not wither, that can't be stolen. Right. And so Mm -hmm. Christ is saying, essentially build your treasure in heaven where thief can't come in and break it and and steal it, et cetera. And, you know, St. John on the cross says, we'll be judged at the end of our life according to how we loved. And so love is willing the good of the other. And so yes, money is a great vehicle to indeed practice charity towards neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Towards the church. And so once again, it's it's sort of like getting rid of the stigma that money, like earning money is evil. It's not unless you're obtaining it through evil means, or if you've turned it into God, 
then it becomes evil. But money in and of itself is neutral. What we decide to do with it is the real test. And so um, ain't no harm, no foul in figuring out how can I how can I be successful? How can I earn money so as to provide for my wife and kids, my spouse, whatever? How can I earn money to then use it to bless my community? You know, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, but one, but whoever that person is needs to check their heart. We all do, right? We all need to check our hearts and make sure that we're walking in God's will and his ways. And, you know, the heart is a complicated uh, reality in each of our lives because we're all tempted. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. And this is why prayer, sacraments, community, you know, why this is all necessary to help keep us on the straight and the narrow. Um, so man, I'm talking a lot. Is this helping bro? (laughs) (laughs) You're great. No worries at all. I think that's super helpful. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, one thing I was, I've been really interested in um, and thinking a lot recently about, I don't know if you've ever read any of Jacob of Mom's stuff on investing and he's kind of anti 401k. He just recently was on Pints of the Quietness and debated Trent Horn mm. about 401ks. And before mm. I listened to that debate, I had already read and, and listened to him talk about it on New Polity before, um, but I got to record with Jacob two weeks ago now in Napa. And ask mm. him about a lot of this stuff. Um, but one thing that he yeah. said that I thought was really intriguing and really kind of struck me was uh, he talked about some of the churches and uh, church leaders and popes in the past who've talked about investing or speculation specifically um, and have spoken negatively about it. But one thing that he said that really struck me was JP2's encouragement and really instruction to all of us to be uh, very intentional with our investing. And so I think that that's something that... Uh, you know, I've started to reflect in my own kind of financial plan and, um, you know, we're starting our first Airbnb in, in a few months and uh, trying to get that started. Nice. And um, But I think, you know, with, within that, I just love to hear anything that you're willing to share about like your own kind of like investing plan and how you're trying to be intentional with that. I know when we talked at Aussie, you were pretty all in on crypto. Do you want to give any explanation as to, <laughs> to why that is and uh, what kind of your thoughts around investing are? As far as like a general yeah, game plan. you know, sure, sure. So uh, what's the name again? Jacob Imam? Imam, Im- yeah. Imam, yeah. I haven't actually sat down and listened to like his whole presentation, but I think a friend of mine had presented his sort of thesis on how, you know, essentially if you invest in certain 401ks, they include certain companies that can be ethically problematic. And so therefore, socially speaking, ethically speaking, it's not a good thing to put your money in supporting certain companies that are are doing X, Y, and Z. Is that about right? Am I getting yeah, that correct? Yeah, more or less, I would say that that's that's a big part of it. And then he does have some quotes from popes, like I said, that condemn speculation. He talks about St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas kind of condemning it. Speculation basically being trying to buy something lower with the assumption that it's going to go higher and selling it at a higher price. He also kind of criticizes not working for your money and claims that investing isn't really working for your money, which Trent, I feel like really does a great job of kind of debunking that second point. I think Trent had some strong points in general, you know, that were really, but I will admit that Jacob's very mm. convincing when it's uh, one-sided, you know, kind of yeah. conversation. But yeah. I think he still brings mm. up some good points about the need to 
um, not just blindly give our money to any and every company that's out there, or at least striving to avoid when there are, are, yeah. are alternatives that are not funding abortions and things like that to try to like seek those out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I no, I mean, point. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, it, it is like, it is quite the conundrum because in our world as fallen as it is. I mean, think about and I'm, I'm sure he's probably covered this, but I think most people who are even remotely, you know, considerate of his idea would say, like, how do you get around buying anything? Right. You know what I mean? From like, yeah. we're talking like internet provider to like just going to the grocery store. Like, who are they? Right. Who are they providing? So I guess like if he wants to go scorched earth, you would go to a local farmer, make sure that they stand for the same values, you know, like, right. Yeah. You like interview every person you're going to buy from. Right. But at a certain point, that's not always like feasible, right? Like I rely heavily for my work on flying, you know, I can't just Mm -hmm. charter a private jet because I don't preach the prosperity gospel. Well, and that would be you bad for the saying? environment, like, <laughs> as Pope Francis would say. So, yeah, exactly, <laughs> you can't win. Right? You just got to walk. Ironic, uh, you, yeah, you can't win. You can't win with any of these things. I mean, um, so anyways, to his point, I uh, can't say I necessarily have made a formation or judgment on, on what he's presenting. I know sure. for myself, uh, I try not to be terribly scrupulous about that. Otherwise you really are limited on any good or service that you can buy. Because if you go down the rabbit hole, every company that you've ever bought food from, you've bought services from, chances are in one way or another, they're supporting something that is against church teaching. And so at that point, the question becomes, do you have to like basically start a homestead, grow all your things and live off the grid? Because like, that's the only way. I mean, I'm, I'm all for like being conscientious about, you know, obviously I'm not going to be like tithing to Planned Parenthood. I'm not going to be, you know, pulling, putting all my money in companies that I know are ethically unjust. Um, index funds and 401ks are interesting because essentially you're putting your money over a large spread of different stocks, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily like you're, you're betting on one company. Like if you, you know, S and P 500 index funds are very popular in our world. And so like the 500 biggest companies in America, right. You're sort of betting on the American economy. Um, but you know, <laughs> which is bold, his point, bolder now uh, than, it, than it once was for sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, anyways, that, this could be a whole very interesting conversation, but case in point is, um, I, I appreciate that that concept of of trying to like be intentional with who you support, which is one of the reasons I've been very fascinated in um, Bitcoin as a store of value and as an investment. Um, in fact, uh, prior to learning about it a few years ago, my wife and I were just using uh, exchanges like Vanguard to fund uh, index funds. Uh, they had low fees. Uh, they were simple to kind of get started. And um, that was our retirement plan or our investment strategy. But a few years ago, my friend, uh, my my son's godfather kept bringing up the concept of Bitcoin. I'm like, what is this? It's that cryptocurrency stuff, right? Like it's like risky. It's like gambling, right? And he's like, yeah, it's either going to go to the moon or it's going to go to zero. I'm like, whoa, that's intense, right? So I didn't know much yeah. about it. But what's interesting is um, when I moved to Texas, another friend had brought up Bitcoin, how he was invested. And I'm like, all right, I got to learn about this stuff. 
So I went on YouTube and I started going down the rabbit hole of like watching videos, getting educated. And then I started getting really intrigued with um, the concept of Bitcoin because it's this mysterious asset class that essentially had been created by an anonymous person or persons by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. It sounds like a sci-fi movie, right? And he basically engineered like this very sound money, like meaning it's it's just pristine in the way it exists. It has these features that make it very desirable. It's scarce. There's only 21 million of these things that will ever exist. It's mm-hmm. decentralized, meaning the government can't touch it if you're self-custodying this stuff. Um, it's uh, it's immediate like you can send it to someone on the other side of the planet with any without any third party like intermediary who's charging you something like if you've ever sent money to a foreign country through western union they're they're charging you you know a, a huge fee but you know when you can send bitcoin in like seconds and there's like literally nominal fees like that are, are nothing in comparison um and then I looked at the the track record, and over the last ten years, as an asset class, Bitcoin has just destroyed, murdered every other asset class in the world by leaps and bounds. It basically, combined. And so it's like a, <laughs> basically everything else yeah, combined. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. So it's like now I am intrigued, right? And um, granted, when it was incepted, like back in, I think it was like 2011, around that yeah, time. Yeah, 11 or 12, I think. 12, yeah. yeah, essentially, like you could buy this stuff for like a dollar. And so people were like downloading it to the computer and their computers would just die off. And so like there's an estimated like four to five million Bitcoin that are presumably missing or gone forever because <laughs> they're out in landfills with these hard drives that have crapped out. So... Um, what's really fascinating is like it's gone from presumably under a dollar to as of right now in 2022, I believe we're at about $23,000, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's absolutely mind boggling, um, but it's really neat because um, it's gotten the world's attention because of its growth, but also because of various reasons. Some people, they see the value in um, investing in an asset that isn't inflating. Like back in the day with our parents, like when they were growing up, you may have heard this, like, you know, if you want to get ahead financially, save your money. If you do that today in 2022, you will lose your money. Why? Because of that inflation thing, right? Mm -hmm. As I said before, we're all getting a crash course in it because in the last few years, the federal bank has essentially printed trillions of dollars of money out of thin air which has essentially taxed everyone silently because of now the costs and goods of things like rent. If you want to buy a home, I know people are in the housing market. It's like nuts right now. Um, uh, The price of cars, lumber, I mean, all these things. And so the way that the government calculates um, how much things have gone up from year to year, it's called the CPI CPI measure. And the thing is they're estimating it's close to about nine, 10% right now. Okay. Um, but they're lying, (laughs) right? Lying. Uh, there are ways to do that in kind of sneaky ways where you don't incorporate certain goods or services, which makes the overall number lower, but presumably it's probably about double that. So it depends on what you're buying, right? Like you may have noticed the cost of your groceries going up substantially. If you want to buy a car, same thing. You want to, your rent's going up. 
it's a really stressful time for a lot of people. And so you can't get ahead by just saving money. In fact, by saving money and just letting it sit there, it will lose its value. Um, according to the government, it'll lose 10% of its value. So over 10 years, what happens to your money, right? Do the math. Yeah. And so it's crazy town. It's really nuts. And so what do you invest in so as to not only outpace inflation, which means you have to find something that's growing at least nine to 10% to just keep your money from melting away. But what can you invest in not to not only like keep that number, but to increase its value. And so this is why investing is so important because if you don't do that, you never really quite get ahead. And so the really neat thing about investing is, you know, you, you're not Padre Pio. You can't be in two places at once, right? So you can't have two jobs at once. You can't scale your, your, your income or your salary like that. But the really amazing thing about investing is that you put your money to work for you. And so I could be sleeping at night, but my money in theory, if I have it in a good investment, can be making money for me. Now with Bitcoin, it is fascinating because while it has smoked every other asset in the world over the past 10 years, it's very volatile. So meaning it can it can take some pretty, pretty big swings up and down in a given day or week, right? Yeah. And so I think in I think in our culture, like especially with the advent of like all these cryptocurrencies, because there's thousands of them, Dogecoin was like a really popular one that got the media's attention. Um, the danger is people, if they treat this stuff like a casino, like a blackjack table where it's like, oh, I'm gonna get rich real quick, they're gonna get burnt, right? You should never invest just as a principal money that you can't afford to lose, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're putting in your life savings, that's very very stupid. Right? Um, yeah. It's very risky. Like it's important to going back to that whole personal finance piece of like I need to make sure I know what my bills are. I know how much money is going out each month. I know how much money I need to bring in. Um, that's where budgeting comes in. But then also you know, what are my goals? So, um, I need an emergency fund just in case like refrigerator breaks, car breaks down. I need to go to the hospital. Like it's important to have that emergency fund for like, ideally it's like anywhere from three to six months. It can be more of your monthly expenses, but it's providing a cushion for yourself so that you can live with this peace of mind. Um, where investments come in is that, you know, beyond that emergency fund, uh, according to Dave Ramsey, he he suggests like putting in 15% of your monthly income into investing. Why? Because if it's growing at a certain percentage and it accumulates over time, this concept of what's called compound interest, um, it's one of the, the, the marvels of the world. If you don't know what that is, just go YouTube, a simple video is what is compound interest? And I'm sure there will be some great visuals and some great lessons that will help you understand why it is so important to make sure that your hard-earned money is not just sitting there melting away, but making money for you, right? And it isn't just to live fat and happy and not care about anything else and make that your God, but to provide for yourself, your family, and to also be charitable and glorifying God like the early Christians did in the book of Acts, right? And so where Bitcoin was so fascinating for me was like all this track record, um, the fact that Um, it was not, it can't be inflated because you can't make more of it. 
Uh, there's only 21 million of these things that will ever exist. They're mined by these supercomputers throughout the world. I know it sounds totally nuts to people who are listening to this, but just like <laughs> gold would be mined, Bitcoin is mined through, you know, computating these, solving these algorithms that essentially um, these computers or these miners get rewarded with Bitcoin. But uh, to do rough math, there will only ever be 21 million that will exist and 19 million have already been mined, right? So there's only 2 million left from here till I believe like less than 100 years from now. Um, but whatever the case, it's just a really neat investment strategy. It's growing in um, its popularity. Once again, it's not something that you should probably put all your net worth into, Um but definitely check it out, you know, get, get educated there. There's so much more to say. One of the most fascinating, um, uh, interviews and just educationally speaking was, uh, done by Michael Saylor, Michael Saylor, S A Y L O R. And I believe he was being interviewed by that guy on Fox. What's the name? Tucker. Uh, I know he's a bit Tucker of a controversial Carlson. person, depending Tucker Carlson, yeah, yeah, yeah. So whether you like him or not, doesn't really matter, but he doesn't really do much talking anyways, if that helps you. But Michael Saylor sits down with Tucker Carlson and just for like a full-on hour and a half explains Bitcoin, and it is so fascinating. So uh, if, you're, if you're at a place financially where you're looking for an investment strategy and you're looking into like what it is you should invest in, definitely check it out. It's very, very, very interesting. And I think... Um, for myself and my wife and I, like we have a long-term sort of strategy where we're not trying to get rich like tomorrow. We're just holding it and we're anticipating that it'll perform because of, uh, it's, it's interesting. There's all these technological things too. Like apparently the, the pace at which the internet was adopted, which is frankly has changed the world, right? The, the pace at which yeah. the internet was adopted, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is being adopted at two times that rate. So, mm -hmm. I mean, just kind of, you know, with any investments, you kind of like have to look at the horizon and see is this, is there promise and what it's like offering and what it's all about. Um, but whatever the case, uh, yeah, you know, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's index funds, whether it's uh, a company you believe in or whatever it is, it's like you have to inconvenience yourself to learn this stuff because if you don't, mm you're just going to be the victim of whatever's happening in this world and in this country and economically. And I am very like worried in the sense that I see a lot of storm clouds on the horizon with the direction with which this country is going. And it, it really worries me. Um, uh, there's been just such a mess over these past two years with the pandemic and all the money printing and now the inflation and, uh, there's just so many games played in Washington. It's, it's just really, it's so upsetting, but I don't know how sustainable it is for people. You know, we are in, officially we're in a recession, um, but now the White House is saying, no, we changed the definition of what a recession is. So no, we're actually okay, but we're not, you know, it, I mean... <laughs> Janet Yellen, who like works with the Fed or is one of these um, high ups in, in Washington in charge of kind of keeping things on track with the economy. She I think it was her. It was Jerome Powell or somewhere else. Someone else who said that inflation is only transitory. Don't worry. And it turns out they're wrong. 
They're very wrong. <laughs> very. And so I just, I worry because if people don't start really taking the understanding of like how to be good stewards of their finances and make sure that they're working hard so as to provide um, a cushion for themselves and their family and their loved ones, it's going to be a really hard time uh, coming ahead. And I, I don't want to get all like conspiracy theory, but I, I have my opinions with things. But needless to say, uh, now is not the time to just wait around and hope that the government will just sprinkle more cash into my hands. Um, people need to really take control of um, what it is they've been given uh, to work hard, to try their best to get out of debt, uh, to spend responsibly, um, to save emergency funds, and to invest. Um, because once again, government ain't here to help. Government is not here to help you. Um, I could go on and on, man, but I'll just stop there. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate it. Um, that's awesome. I, I would love to kind of, I, I started doing this. I've only done it a few times, but some spontaneous, like rapid fire questions to, to close it out. Would you be down with that? Yeah, totally, man. Awesome. Let's I'm get kidding. it. So, uh, my first one is if it was up to you, totally up to you, would you have uh, Donald Trump run again in 2024? Who would he be running against? Uh, presumably Joe Biden. He's, he's committed, at least in his own mind, to running again. Mercy. Okay, I'll start with Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he is mentally unfit and unwell. And he does not have the capacity to run this country based on, I mean, hundreds at this point of clips where he is showing mental decline. He doesn't even know mm -hmm. where he is in some of these clips. It's very, very disturbing and concerning. Um, so it's clear that someone else is running the country. It's not Joe Biden, sadly. Um, the policies that he's implementing are very worrisome for the future of our country. Um, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. I'm officially neither. I haven't signed up for one party or the other. Obviously, we know as Catholics, like every political party falls short of God and his mm -hmm. teaching and the gospel. But there are some non-negotiables and things that concern me that unfortunately with this current administration uh, are very, very troublesome. You know, whether it's its stances on the unborn, but also like its fiscal policies, which are damaging just about everyone right now, except the very rich. Um, uh, I mean, I could go on and on. So I, to answer your question, I will say, you know, in our fallen world, cause you know, I, I am not the biggest fan of Donald Trump. I don't think most people are unless they toe a very particular line with politics. However, between Joe Biden and Trump, would I vote for Trump? Probably, uh, just based on my previously expressed concerns. Um, what I find fascinating about Trump, just based on the last four years, or the, the four years he was president, was that every single day the American public were told that he is evil incarnate, right? I mean, mm -hmm. granted, he's... He <laughs> At least from my perspective, looking in, he, he doesn't seem to be the best person in the world. I mean, to put it lightly, like he says and does things that are rash and brash and 
He creates sound bites that are very controversial, and presumably there are times that he's said and done things that are very wrong. I mean, that much is clear. I'm not blind to that. However, I believe that there was a lot of unfair media bias where the American public couldn't even objectively formulate a truthful opinion about him because if you're told day in and day out that this person is evil and stupid, racist, and just evil incarnate, then you will begin believing that. Whether or not they're Mm -hmm. doing things that are actually positive at all for the country. Whereas now with Biden, who is incredibly mentally unfit, who has a son who is cracked out and, you know, hiring hookers and doing all sorts of things that are jeopardizing national security. And the FBI is not talking about this or investigating it. You know, there's all sorts of like controversy just steaming up right now. And yet what is the media doing? Nothing. Radio silence. Because what possible wrong could good old President Biden do. You see, I don't care what aisle of politics you're on. If you don't see the problem in that, that's a problem. That's a profound problem. We live in a state, we live in a country where the media, obviously, it's not even about bias anymore. It's about just political ideology. And so I feel like the American public, and I hope that most people listening to this are becoming more aware of this, especially in lieu of the last past few years, where I think there's been a real decline in trust and confidence in the media based on so many of the things and the misinformation, whether it has to do with COVID or frankly anything else. Um, The bias has become so incredibly blatant that even if a, a regular everyday person were to challenge the narrative, whether online or offline, but particularly online, they would be censored, they would be labeled as uh, misinformation uh, spreaders, dangerous people, influencers. They'd be blocked. They'd be canceled. And ironically, you know, those people who were questioning the common narrative two years ago, a lot of their questions and concerns are now vindicated by the very agencies and the very people who are saying that they should be blocked and canceled two years ago. You know, I don't care what your politics are. If you don't see objectively that this is a problem, that's a problem. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion in our country because media and social media are so powerful. And so naturally, depending on what social media you're consuming, what news station you're watching, you know, you are, you are told what to believe and who to support. But I really believe that it is extremely important for people to think outside the box, to do their own research, to to challenge the common narratives that they're being told in news headlines. Frankly, just to turn the news off. Um, because whether it has to do with politics, who would I want to see? Who would I want to see as president? I mean, is there another alternative? I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to consider a, a third party. I'd love to consider somebody else as a candidate. But I guess to just simply answer your question, I, um, I'd i be interested to look into, yeah, there were problems uh, during Trump's presidency because the media seemed to be presenting him in such a way where even for me it was hard to garner what is what is true and what is false but Mm -hmm. i i do not think that biden and his administration are the answer for america personally yeah definitely no i get that i love it what if if any 
which uh, altcoin would you say you're most bullish on? Do you invest in any altcoins uh, or you I'm straight mo- Bitcoin? Uh, I'm mainly Bitcoin. I have some in Ethereum, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm more of a Bitcoin uh, guy, uh, just because of the um, the features that it possesses versus Ethereum. That's a whole other conversation. But um, there's a lot yeah. of altcoins out there which people should be very weary of, because a lot of these things ain't gonna make it. A lot the of people are going to lose a butt ton <laughs> of money. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to lose a lot of money, man. It's sad. So if you're interested in this, once again, don't invest money you can't afford to lose. Don't just invest in something because it's making a lot of money right now. Like, Look into it. Research its track record. You got to believe in it. You got to see why it has potential in the future. And then good luck. Hold it long term, <laughs> in my go. opinion. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your favorite type of workout to do? Are you a like upper body guy, lower body guy? Do you do like hit stuff, CrossFit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I not so much the CrossFit. Honestly, I just go in and I just do compound lifts. You know, you got to work the legs, guys. Otherwise, you can start looking like a chicken. You know, the chicken legs. You'd be all buff and all lopsided. <laughs> you got to do leg day too. Um, so I go in the gym. I try to hit it three three times a week. Um. And it's cool because my wife and I, we go together, we drop off our kids at like childcare and we just make it a little date. Um, so what I've been doing for the past year or two, I just go in, I do compound lifts. You know, I'm not just there working single muscle groups. I try to hit as many as possible. Mm-hmm. So bench press, deadlift, shoulder press, bicep curls, uh, back rows, squats, you know, um, I, I try to kind of get my, my biggest bang for my buck. And then, uh, yeah, uh, I think exercise is really important. Um, if you haven't made exercise a part of your your weekly program, you're missing out. It's really, really good for you if you haven't heard. Um, it's better than drugs. <laughs> um, not that I do drugs, but from what I hear, uh, you know, the, the point is it's like the benefits that I've experienced, I, I, f- I feel good, I have more energy, I feel more confident, I can lift my kids without screwing up my back, you know, um, it's just good. It's a good challenge too. And, um, yeah, I think it, it builds discipline for sure. So, uh, you know, you get in there, you, you work hard, you sleep well, you get in your macros and you consume enough protein and then you rinse and repeat, you know, and you'll see some gains. It's great. I love it. That's great, man. And so obviously the last question here, you, you've met a lot of Catholic speakers, um, in your time, I'm sure, you know, speaking at all these different events and things like that. Do you have a favorite Catholic, it could be author or speaker, but uh, Catholic, um, you know, leader in the church today that's alive? Who's alive? Okay. Um, uh, in terms of lay folks, uh, I really appreciate uh, a buddy of mine, Chris Stefanik. Uh, I look up to that guy. He's a friend and he's doing a lot of good work for the church, has a great heart about him. Um, Jason Everett is another friend and speaker who I, I just really admire and appreciate. Um, in terms of clergy, you know, I, in fact, it's funny, like a, a, a month ago I was in uh, the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, and I ran into Bishop Strickland. And uh, I, I was looking forward to that meeting for quite some time because I, I learned about him about a year or two ago, and I just appreciate his candor, his candor and his just boldness in proclaiming the simple truths of the Catholic faith. 
And I told him, I thanked him for that when I saw him at this pro-life camp that I was speaking at. And I said, you know, I just appreciate you. And I just want to know, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And you're giving a lot of people like myself encouragement. And it's fascinating. He said, you know, I shouldn't be known. Like I shouldn't be well known like this. I'm just doing what a bishop should be doing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yep, I agree with you. I agree with you, but alas, this is the time even in the church that we live in. So Bishop Strickland is definitely an inspiration. Um, handful of other bishops and priests that I don't know, most people probably wouldn't know here, but um, yeah, for every wacky thing that a person hears about the church, whether we're talking from the Vatican all the way down, just know that there's a lot of good happening. Um, I have a really interesting vantage point of traveling throughout the world and through our country and just seeing the great good that the church is up to uh, on all of its levels, you know, from lay folks to clergy. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of people who love the Lord and who are faithful. Don't let the unfaithful ones who are spreading error and division and controversy become the focal point. Our focal point is Christ ultimately, right? We don't, we don't, we don't not follow our, hold on, double negatives are confusing. We don't leave Jesus because of Judas. Oh, Kurt, hey, we don't leave Jesus <laughs> because of Judas, right? We were faithful to Christ who instituted the church. The church is perfect insofar as the bride of Christ. It's imperfect insofar as what? It's human members. We are mm-hmm. all part of this messy ass family, right? But Christ redeems it. He makes all things new. And like he told St. Francis hundreds of years ago, Francis rebuilt my church, right? Francis thought that, St. Francis rather thought that he was talking about the San Damiano chapel that he was praying in that was dilapidated. But unbeknownst to him, he's talking about the universal Mm -hmm. church. And all St. Francis did was he sought to reform himself every single day through prayer, through penance, through charitable deeds towards his neighbor, And through the course of his short life, God used his yes to indeed reform the universal church. So I think that's a good reminder for people who kind of see that there's so many problems in the church today. You know, it's not going to be, and with all due respect to our our clergy and our leaders, but it's not going to be documents that, that save the church. It's not going to be you know, finely tuned programs that are implemented at parish levels. It's going to be as it has always been the lives of the saints of today who reform the church. God has this crazy way about germinating in the best way possible, the body of Christ through the lives of the saints. And so let's get it. Let's go. (laughs) God, many are called, few are chosen, right? Like God calls each of us to be, leaven, right? In in all this, he, he calls us to be the salt of the world, the, the light of the earth, the salt of the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He calls us to be um, countercultural, of course, because if you're living out your Catholic faith, you're going to be weird. You're going to, in some sense, cause controversy, but not because you're a provocateur, but because your life is a contradiction people will look at you and say, why are they joyful? What is it about this person? Why do they not share the same values as us, but they are at peace, they are joyful, there's something attractive about them. And our answer will always be Christ, his love for us. 
you know, his word, his promise. And uh, that's what we all need to figure out, man, is how we shine that light in whatever state of life we're in, whatever our profession is, wherever we work, whatever our family situation looks like, online, offline, whatever our presence is, like, it's just, it's not the time to sit on the sidelines and just kind of be like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Catholic. <laughs> we, we need people to be bold, man. We need people to not be afraid to post things that are going to get negative attention. We got to be... We got to be about loving our neighbors radically, but uncompromisingly, right? Where like love isn't just about, oh, making people feel nice all the time. It is about caring for them, but it's about caring for their souls as well, right? What mm -hmm. is truly good for our neighbor. Um, and I know that's a scary thing for people to consider because, uh, you know, once again, there's just so much... It's a crazy world we live in, man. The crazy world, social media world. Um, there's there's a there's a small minority of people who are making the most noise in our culture, right? They're the people who control the social media think tanks and the media tanks and the politics and the policies, and they are the ones making the most noise and making everyone else feel like they are crazy if they don't believe and agree with what these people are sending out. You know, I'm sure you guys can read between the lines here, but like, there's just so many wacky agendas and ideologies out there today. And I think people are falling into the trap of believing that in order to be a loving and kind person, that I need to believe this. I saw this tweet yesterday. I'm just going to share it with you really quick because I think it it hit this concept on the head that I'm trying to to speak on. This woman named Sirut Chala said it was a very clever and diabolical move to conflate criticizing bad ideas with bigotry mm. so in other words what she's saying is like it was obviously diabolical. the devil is like really great with these things by the way but like the cultural stance now that if you criticize bad ideas that somehow you are a bigot welcome to 2022 <laughs> it's not That's a good right. idea. It's not a it's not a good idea to put children on on uh puberty blockers. It's not. It's not a good idea. It's not a good idea to have drag queens doing doing pole dances in elementary schools. It's not a good idea. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> and it's happening. And if you speak up against it, people say, "Oh my gosh, you're a bigot." No, I'm just a rationally minded individual knowing that this is called grooming. You're grooming small children with sexual thoughts and things that they don't need to be worrying about. They're kids, you know? And so, but then there's this whole group of people who fall for this junk and they say, no, oh yes, we need to be, I'm a caring person. I care. So I need to also care that this is how they want to express themselves. And yeah, children should know about this because I want them to be sensitively minded and, and caring for their neighbor. Yes, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, you can't throw your brain out. You can't throw your, <laughs> your conscience out. Yeah. You know, we, we have to call out what is evil and wrong. We have to acknowledge what is truthful and good. Yes, there are some gray areas that we have to navigate with God's wisdom and figuring out how to best and going back to the whole like... Um, the trans thing or, you know, whatever the issue might be, like 
yes, there is a place and there's a way for the church to outreach to those who would fall in that category and have these struggles. And I'm sensitive to that. But to to swing the pendulum so far in a certain direction to say that the answer is to have pole dancing in elementary schools, this is absolutely insane. People have lost their minds and this is not pleasing to God. I, I will I will die on that hill. So anyways, yeah. that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I think, you know, as a culture, we've largely lost that there's hills that are worth dying on, um, on the side of goodness. You know, I think a lot of us on the uh, either more right side or, you know, just in the church are afraid to, to die on any hill, you know, and to sacrifice or, like you said, be willing to post things that are unfavorable or unpopular um, because you just risk, yeah, losing friends, losing family members. And it is hard. I think, you know, it's easy to underestimate how difficult and challenging that can be for people who are um, losing loved ones over sharing the truth, their commitment to the truth. But, um, you know, the Lord doesn't say that following him is easy, just that it's worthwhile, you know, that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that ultimately yeah, leads yeah, yeah. to eternal goodness. But awesome, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to like, you're going to, you're going to meet people who you don't agree with, right? Uh, in your family, among your friends, colleagues. Um, I think there's, there's something to be said that it's, it's extremely important, I believe, to be able to have dialogue in a respectful way, right? Even if at the end of the day, people don't agree uh, politically. Because, you know, granted, there are some issues that are more political in nature than, say, like morally, objectively having to do with truth, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, even if, you know, there's a disagreement, it's important for people to understand that one, generally speaking, social media is not conducive to this kind of discussion, but also like two, it's important to um, just have an openness and have a willingness to dialogue with people so as to understand where they're coming from. I think that's a skill that our culture needs to like re retrain themselves with because social media has done a terrible job of helping people to have dialogue, which is why it's become so tribal. And, um, so anyways, uh, it's interesting. Like I think most people like they're much more courteous and charitable if you speak about things in person than they are online. (laughs) Whatever that's that's worth to anybody listening. (laughs) Yeah. So whatever that's worth to anyone out there, like, you know, if a relationship really matters to you, whether it's like a family member or friend, like I've had to have uncomfortable conversations with family members about like COVID, right. Mm-hmm. And COVID practices over the past few years. And there were a couple family gatherings where it's like, yo, is this going to be like a deal breaker? Like, is this going to like irreparably harm our relationship or, but I think what was a good thing that I would say it was calling up family member X, Y, and Z and just having a heart to heart as to where we're coming from and what our concerns are versus just like lambasting them with how stupid they are for believing this or that, which is typically how social media is handled. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just, you know, I don't know. It's just an encouragement (laughs) to anyone listening to don't be afraid to also have those heart-to-heart conversations with people you care about, uh, especially if there's an obvious elephant in the room, you know, that's yeah. uh, also a part of adult adulting. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to just kind of, yeah, it's easy to just pretend like everything's okay or just like skirt around an issue that you know needs to be talked about. But it takes a lot of maturity to sit down and be like, hey, I care about you. I care about our relationship. Let's talk about this, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So don't be afraid of those conversations, yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I appreciate it, man. It was great talking with you. I appreciate you sharing all that stuff. And um, again, would, would you like to share again just the, the links? And obviously, I'll put it all in the show notes, but just where people can find you know the things that we talked about today. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so if they want to find out more about my ministry, you know, where I'm presenting and speaking, et cetera, if they'd like to book me for an event, they can go on my website, pjkmusic.com. Uh, they can also check out my Catholic Guide to Adulting online course and community. That's www.catholicadulting.com. And if they want to check me out on Instagram, my my handle is heypjk. Those are my initials, H-E-Y. PJK. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. They just look up Paul J. Kim. <laughs> but thank you, man. I appreciate you having me, Nathan. Best wishes for the podcast and all the outreach and good stuff, man. Keep it going. I love it. Appreciate it. And thank you everybody for tuning in today. Hopefully today's episode was encouraging to you and I think gave some great practical things to, to consider, to reflect on, to pray about in your own life when it comes to being intentional, uh, you know, in that financial pillar of excellence um, and obviously family and the social pillar we talked about a lot today. So uh, yeah, hope it was a blessing for you and we are praying for you and hope you continue to fight hard to be your best. God bless.